Our next presenter is, uh, is Brent Cook. He's an independent exploration analyst, and he writes uh, an excellent letter called Exploration Insights. You can see the title of his speech is um, Between a Rock and a Hard Place, and I'm pretty sure that title refers to his speaker slot here, which is right before lunch. Anyway, uh, he's going to carry us into the lunch hour and share his latest insights with us, so please welcome Brent Cook. Thank you, Eric. Thank you all for uh, sticking around before or after lunch. I do appreciate it. Um, we've got a lot of ground to cover here, uh, and I'm hoping at the end we'll have time for some questions. I've titled this Between a Rock and a Hard Place, The Miner's Dilemma. And what I want to get across mainly is that the major miners, all the mining companies, in fact, are facing a real dilemma. And what that dilemma means for us is that if we own the right deposits, we're going to do quite well. So I'm going to start off with the good news first. What we have here is, is two charts of stocks during the last real big bust we had in the junior resource sector, 1997 to about 2002, 2004. And you can see what happened. We got three, four, almost five years of bouncing along the bottom until the resource sector picked up. Uh, the first one is Nevison, went uh, 10 cents to nine bucks. Second one is uh, First Quantum, 17 cents to, or sorry, 75 cents to $17. And this is based on, it moved up because they had legitimate discoveries or legitimate profitable deposits. So I think that's where we're going. I'm convinced that's where we're going. But to understand why we were at, I think we need to look at what's gone wrong. And this, and this chart here shows uh, the, since 19, uh, sorry, 2010, how the gold ETF, the XAU, and the GDXJ junior miners index is done. And you're all familiar with this, but what you can see happen is late 2010, things collapsed. And what I wanna go through is why, they, why it collapsed, why that happened, and what that means in terms of new deposits, new discoveries, new companies, and how we're gonna, gonna profit from this. And what I've done here is, is added in what's happened since the first big drop. And you can see those stars. There's one at uh, September 11, one September 2013, one at March 14th, and the one for today. Each of those stars marks about a 20 to 30% rise in the D GDXJ. And I throw this up here because I'm, despite what a lot of people have seemed to think that we're back, my gut feeling is we're bouncing along bottom here. And it'll be continued doing this for some time. And again, that's negative if we own these stocks, but it's also positive in that we're going to get the opportunity to evaluate projects, evaluate companies, and buy them at a decent price in the anticipation of when it does start rocking up. So what went wrong? Uh, first off, margins. This is the gold companies. Up until about uh, three years ago, they advertised their, their cash cost of production. And that averaged about 800 bucks. With $1,500 gold, that's a huge margin. But in reality, they did not make that much money. What I've shown on the next is uh, Barrick, Imana, Newmont, what their all-in sustaining costs really are for last year, which is averaging about 1574 an ounce. 
So there's no money, that, there's no real profit there, and we've seen that. That is why they perform, perform so poorly. And you can see all of them there um, listed. And here it is graphically, uh, gold price in gold, and the other charts show that the, the various uh, cost measures. And you can see total production costs and uh, all-in costs. And all-in costs is red, and you can see cash flow is going negative. Again, one more time, same thing. These are the major companies. And what we're seeing here is that line is today's gold price, and those margins are tight. They're projected to go down. I mean, sorry, the profitability is projected to increase over the next two years, and we need to understand how they're going to do that. All right, what else went wrong? CapEx, complete blowout across the board. Uh, Barrick had to drop two projects, 54 million ounces from their books, because the CapEx killed it. Uh, Pasqualama, a prime example, initial CapEx estimate in 1999 was 600 bucks. It's up to 9 billion now and not going ahead. Uh, to sustain, this is an interesting fact here, to sustain current 85 million ounces more or less of production will cost in excess of $400 billion in CapEx over the next 10 years. Yet CapEx expenditures, one of the things they're cutting, is down 35% this year. Uh, one other interesting fact here. RRC estimates that of the 524 projects with a CapEx of up to, up to $500 million to build these things, they need to raise $69 billion. For the bigger projects, they're going to cost up to a billion dollars to build. They need to raise $75 billion to build these things. Yet, on average, these companies that have PEAs to feasibility studies are trading a tenth, at a tenth, the market value of what they need to raise. It just ain't going to happen. And here's why. Look at the cash flow for the uh, 21 major miners. Cash flow has gone negative in about uh, last, mid last year. Um, it's starting to get better, and that was that chart I showed you previously, but how are they making it get better? What else is going wrong here? Timelines to production. 10 years ago, it took 10 years from a discovery to production, on average, of a large deposit. It's now taking in the order of 20 years. And the reason for that are there's much more social issues to deal with, politics, environmental issues, issues to go through, technical, because the deposits we're finding now are not as simple at surface as we used to find, and financial. It's hard to raise the money, and they're much more expensive. So this timeline is just going way out. So even the projects that we find that we want to put in production are taking much longer. What else has gone wrong? The quality of the deposits is down. What this shows here is the average mined um, and reserve grade for gold deposits. You can see back in 1996, it's about 2.25 grams. It's now down closer to about one gram on average. So the quality of these deposits has gone down in tandem with the gold price rising. So again, the margins did not really increase. Uh, one other problem, deposits are deeper. What this shows is the depth of these discoveries since 1900, going how deep they were in the earth, that cross-section shows. And it's clear that as we explore and explore the earth more and more, these deposits are deeper, and that just makes sense. We found the thing sitting at the surface, now we've got to drill blind through cover, we've got to drill blind through jungle. It's, it's much harder 
to find these things. They're going to be deeper, which means they're going to be more expensive to explore for, more expensive to develop, etc. Copper's not much better off. Uh, this shows average grade of copper deposits estimated out to 2025. What you can see from one throwing to a little over 1.5%, it's heading down to below 1% copper, uh, considerably below 1% copper. Um, since 1988, 100 copper discoveries, out of 100 copper discoveries, only 10% of those have been converted to reserves. So even the stuff that's been found, that we're being found is not necessarily economic. Big problem. And here's the supply demand uh, for copper. You can see it's projected to go into deficit out here in a few years. Copper costs uh, from 57 cents to a buck 80 a pound. And those are just cash costs. So what are these guys doing? Um, to increase profitability. And that is, that is what the investors, the funds that are really putting money to this are, are demanding right now. We put money into you. You didn't make us any money. Start making us money. So they cut costs, but really the best way they can go about cutting these costs is to high grade or pick out the best part of the deposits and push that through the mill as quickly as they can. So what I've got here is... a um, a real-life real example of a deposit in West Africa. The top slide shows a cross-section through the ore body, the red being the high grade, then pink, and then the yellow. The original mine plan called for a mining of uh, 4 million ounces grading 2.1 grams. But in order to increase profitability, increase the grade running through the mill, what they've done is decided just to go after the high grade and leave the low grade. So they've changed this deposit from 4 million ounces down to 2 million ounces, 2.8 million ounces, grading 4 grams, which is great. But they've sterilized, killed, gutted their deposit, which now they're leaving behind 1.2 million ounces at 0.9 grams per ton. So short-term profitability up, long-term reserves gone. This is happening across the board. All right, so where else are they cutting costs? Uh, exploration is the obvious, that's the R&D, so they're cutting out R&D research and development uh, drastically. Uh, they're firing the geologists, engineers, curtailing development. Uh, they're also putting off maintenance jobs, which again is going to come back to bite them um, as the equipment's not being repaired or replaced. And you can see that for exploration expenditures are headed down 35%. This is, <laughs> this is the exploration strategy going. Uh, I've tried this, it really doesn't work very well. So think about this. If, if average mine grades are declining, yet demand is increasing, the only way to meet that demand is to increase the tons processed substantially. But they're doing the opposite. They're reducing the tons mined increase profitability. So new mines have to be built. Yet money's tight, they're not being financed, discoveries are down, production timelines are way up, and they're cutting out their R&D, the research and development. Really what's the solution? 
And this is where I want to really get into the hard part of where I'm, where I'm going here. The simple solution is we'll just go out and find new deposits, right? Well, this chart shows what's happened with, with discoveries, at least in the gold side of things. Uh, from 1990 up through about 2013, the green low line is gold price. The brown run running across there is an important one. That's production. And this is discoveries. Way down. Now, it lags a bit, but these are discoveries, and it's way down. And that little diamond I've got there on the side there, that shows about 85 million ounces of current production. To put that in, into perspective, that's about all the gold that's been mined on the Carlin trend in Nevada since its initial discovery. And that's one of the deposits on there. And that is about uh, there's a dozen deposits there. So effectively, to replace current 85 million ounces of production, we've got to find one Carlin trend every year. It ain't happening. All right, and now we're not finding enough large deposits. That's what really kicks this off. So even of those found since 1950, less than half are in production. Most all because of the issues I mentioned. Um, bottom line, legitimate discoveries are extremely valued. And what I've got here on this chart is the ounces discovered and the deposits that they are. The starred ones are the ones with big resources but are not going ahead. And for the most part, won't go ahead, I think. Uh, Kim Sokocha in Ecuador, under, it's, it's deep, hundreds of meters down there. Arsenic, it's refractory, it's not going ahead. Uh, East Pebble, Alaska, it's not going ahead. Fruta del Norte in Ecuador, great discovery. So far, not going ahead. Um, La Calosa. Large, 20 million ounce discovery by Anglo Gold in Colombia. It's unlikely that's going ahead anytime soon. And then two others that were bought recently by uh, Canadian companies are just two low-grade crap deposits that aren't going to go ahead. All right, so why is it so hard? Uh, on average, and this is, you know, just on average, a study by Newmont Mining a few years back suggested that every year, one in a thousand projects result in a discovery of over 100,000 ounces, and one in 10,000 prospects result in a discovery of over 4 million ounces. So those are pretty poor odds, and I want to go through why that is, and, and we can improve on those substantially with a bit of work, and I'll get to that too. So we're going to do a bit of Geology 101 here. But we're not going to do that yet. <laughs> We'll, we'll keep looking at this. Financing. So what, what does it look like? Over the last six years, financings have collapsed. Uh, don't look, worry about details. Basically, this first chart shows significant financings down. Uh, drill results, positive drill results, down. Significant, uh, let's see, and resource announcements, down. So why is that? Geology 101. Um, there's two... Day one, how many of you took Geology 101 or whatever in, at university or such? Not that many. Okay. First thing you learn, first day one, is, is two things, time and something called uniformitarianism. Um, uniformitarianism is basically the concept that what we're seeing happening today on the earth has more or less happened the same in the past. And that, what that means is we can understand what we're seeing in older rocks 
I can compare it to what's happening here, be it erosion, volcanoes, plate tectonics, all that sort of thing. So we, we can understand, look back into the past knowing what we know today. Number two is time. Uh, this is a difficult concept. It's, it's an amazing concept, but if you put the 4.6 billion years the Earth has been here into an hour-long clock, which is what this shows, uh, 19 minutes ago, in this hour-long clock, algae first occurred or appeared here on Earth. Dinosaurs, about three minutes ago. Ice Age engined eight-tenths of a second ago, and man showed up about a tenth of a second ago. Another minute or two, I, I, I will predict, that all that's going to be left of man is a layer of mud full of plastic marked by mass destruction, uh, extinctions, and a warming climate. So enjoy your evening tonight. <laughs> Buy that extra expensive bottle of wine. All right, so here's a picture of the Poas volcano. And this is in, Nicar in, uh, Nicar in sorry, Costa Rica. And it's along a trench where the subduction zone, the ocean plate sinks beneath the continent. As it sinks, it melts. As it melts, it forms magma. As it forms magma, it rises. As it rises, it cools. It puts off vapor, water, minerals, and that sort of thing. And that's what we're seeing on the top of this in the, in the photo. That's just the surface expression of a cooling magma body at depth. Slicing that in half, this is what we know from looking at past, you know, looking at other deposits and stuff, conceptually, as an explorationist, it's possible, just possible, that at depth beneath this, a high sulfidation or low sulfidation gold deposit is forming. So as explorationists, we recognize what's happening. We can see that the, all, the rocks at surface are altered. We know that there is a volcano of some sort there. And it's possible that everything came together to form uh, a, a deposit of some sort, hopefully economic. And that's what those red, uh, that's what that circle indicates. This is where uh, these fellows out here are getting money from you to try and drill and see if that's there. But it's tougher than you think. This is, I use this a lot, so you've probably seen this, but this is my Where's Waldo slide. And it's kind of a conceptual cross-section through the uh, subduction zone showing all the different types of deposits that can form in that environment. And the only important thing to get a handle on here is that every, everything in red there is a type of deposit that could exist in that environment, scarns, epithermals, carlins, etc. This is what it really looks like. All right? this, is a, this is a picture I took on the backside of the uh, Andes in Ecuador. Um, as you can see, it's not that clear cut. And just for scale, here's what happens if you start drilling it. Okay, these lines all represent, represent drill holes through something like this with the little bar charts colors representing gold mineralization that was intersected in grade. Um, you can see that this is a very complex picture. Even with the drill holes, it's a very complex picture. So this is why it's so tough to actually find an economic deposit. Everything has got to come together. And, and my point was, is in this, you know, as the subduction occurs, volcanoes form, they walk, come up, they erode, they wash away, continues over 20 million years. What you end up with is a number of specific sites where the volcano was that changed the rock around it. That when it changes the rock around it, which is what it does, 
Those are called anomalies. It's anomalous because it's different than what the rock should be. They can be geochemical anomalies with a bit of arsenic, a bit of gold. Each one of those represents a potential, potential site for an economic deposit. And this is a 25 uh, kilometers uh, Google shot across the uh, northern Andes in Chile. And those little stars up top, each one of those represents a volcano that I could pick up that's active. They're formed on other volcanoes. So potentially, any one of these could be where a deposit formed. But we know the odds are very low that that happened because this is just what the Earth does. So my, my point here is that geochemical anomalies are extremely common. And you've got to pick the right, it's, got a, it's a, unique, a unique event when you get a real deposit. All right, so what am I looking at now? What works for investors in this sector? What am I really looking at to make money here? So we know how hard it is. We start to get to a deposit. Maybe there's a deposit. I'm looking for low operating costs, simple mining, simple metallurgy. Low capex, good infrastructure, simple deposits is what we want. It's got to be socially and environmentally doable. Uh, identify the fatal flaw as soon as possible. That's what I spend almost all my time doing. Uh, in the letter, I'm always looking for something to buy, but I rarely buy something because I know the odds are so low, it's really critical to go through and as quickly as possible identify what's wrong with this. Okay, move on. And these are the things that can go wrong. Lack of grade, lack of grade continuity, trip ratio, dilution, metallurgy, size, those sorts of things. But our job as investors in this sector, speculators, is to identify those as quickly as possible and get the hell out. Okay, what does work? Here's one, Papillon. We, we've done well on this in the letter. Um, I left this in. It's being purchased by B2 Gold, but it's simple open pit, simple metallurgy, OPEX, 725 uh, an ounce, CAPEX is relatively low. Look at the IRR, after tax IRR, uh, 200, uh, 38%. This is a good deposit, and this is what it looks like in cross-section, the grade block model. Look at how continuous that is. That's a very simple deposit to mine, and it fits right into an open pit. That's what we want. That's what, what, what does work. All right, what doesn't work? A live and good deposit of uh, Corvus is up in Alaska. They've got 20 million ounces sitting there, but as the chart shows, it's not working. Why? This is the results of their feasibility study. And I think probably the key number here to look at Obviously, it's almost $3 billion to build. Your OPEX is going to be over 1000 bucks, and your all-in costs are about 1474 But look at the head grade, which is about in the middle, 0.69 grams a ton. It's not oxide. It's metallurgically complex. It doesn't work. So really, what this is at present, as presented here, is nothing more than one of those geochemical anomalies, just a big one. What does this discovery look like? Reservoir minerals, they're out there. Uh, we've done well on this in the letter. The funny thing about a discovery, it keeps getting better. It sounds simple, but it doesn't happen very often. And again, once you think you're under discovery, it's really critical to continually evaluate results, find the fatal flaw, find what's going wrong. If you can't find that fatal flaw, hold on or buy more. And this is what it looks like. We've, we, we knew the concept that they were drilling in Serbia. The drilling 
proved the concept and subsequent drilling continued to prove the concept that this is a very high grade uh, deposit that will be economic to somebody. So I want you to consider three questions. And I think, you know, this goes back to, you probably mostly caught Friedland's talk, but this is what it's all about. Will the mill demand increase over the next 10 years? Uh, will mining companies need new deposits? I think I've shown they will. Will metal discoveries keep up with production? If the answer is yes, yes, and no, we've only got one real option, and that is to accumulate the best deposits and best explorers while we're bouncing along bottom. That simple. So normally I go through and talk about, give out some stock ideas right now. And, and this is a unique show in that every one of these companies out here that, I'm a, that I know are solid companies. So what I've done is pulled the ones out that I own in, in you know, I personally own in, in, and talk about in the letter, which is what my letter is about. Um, Eurasian Minerals, prospect generator, active across the world, have some of the best technical people out there. And it's funny because I've worked with most of, the, most of these folks in the, in the past, so I know them. Fission Uranium has made the best uranium discovery in quite some time. Uh, uranium's a contrarian playwright now, but it's very unique that you find a deposit of that quality near surface that will be low cost, relatively low cost, to open pit mine this thing. The tough ones are when you had to go underground. This is open pits, good deposit. Focus Ventures, they've got a uh, phosphate, drilling out a phosphate deposit in Peru. It sits between two known act operating phosphate mines. So we know the geology's dead simple. They're proving up a resource. The metallurgy is being worked on. The adjacent deposit, half of it was sold for something in the order of 400 million bucks when it was built. Uh, the other adjacent deposit, I think somebody bought in, Hothschild bought in for 30% for $48 million. Their market cap is 19. I like this one. Lara Exploration, uh, prospect generator, active in South America, all over the place really, doing a good job, uh, not, no immediate catalyst, but this is one I think is worth accumulating. Mirasol Resource. Another prospect generator, they've got 35, 31 million bucks in the bank. Their project, new project, projects up in Chile look really sexy. I just went through it with Steve Nano. I like the looks of this one. Um, Pilot Gold, great company, technically good. They've got uh, 30 odd million bucks in the bank as well. Potential discoveries being proved up in Turkey and Nevada. Uh, Reservoir Minerals. We talked about that, fantastic. One of the best discoveries in a long time. Riverside Resources, another prospect generator. He runs his business like a business. It's worth talking to John Mark. And Rocks Gold, um, they've got a small, not small, 700,000 ounce deposit in Burkina Faso. The NPV, at after-tax NPV on this thing is $250 million. And more importantly, it shows an IRR of 88, or sorry, 48%. And this thing's open at depth. This is the sort of thing I think that makes sense uh, today. All right, takeaways. We covered a lot of ground here. <laughs> um, but I think I've laid out the case that the major miners are in trouble. 
why they're in trouble and what that means going forward. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen this year, but next year or the year after, the board's going to wake up to the fact that they've been doing zero exploration. Their mines are get, their deposits have been degraded because of the high grading. They fired anyone who's any good, and they're going to have to replace production. The only way to do that is go out and buy deposits. And again, I want to own those deposits. There's a severe deficit coming. Uh, mining cyclical. We know that increasing is demand. Demand is increasing. So we've got increasing demand and decreasing supply. Good setup. So basically, own the best. Do your due diligence. Uh, and come to my uh, website. Uh, thank you so much.